I don't speak up. Yeah. I start to slur. And yeah. my, although my cats can hear me, it's not very good. Um, <laughs> other, when, when I'm tired, yes. I yeah. So I always speak up. Okay. So you're you're managing to do that now to focus on consciously speaking up so that the yeah. I am, yes. Yeah. I am, yeah. And I can hear you. I can hear that you're doing that. Um it's just remembering to do it, isn't it? That's the harder part. Yeah. Okay. Have you been able to I know you were going to audio record yourself um at one point. Have you needed to do that? Welcome to another RC SLT podcast. Today we're talking to Sarah Hay, an SLT who works at an outpatient clinic in Glasgow. I got to spend a bit of time sitting in on some of Sarah's virtual sessions to really get a sense of what's changed in the last six months and how this virtual medicine is working, both for clinicians and patients. Afterwards, Sarah and I had a chat about what good practice has come out of the pandemic. If you ever did, that's what we deal with. So just to, to be aware of that for the future. And hopefully I'll never see you again. Eh? And likewise. Yeah, I, I have a for this. <laughs> well, then I'll start with the first question, which I ask everyone basically is, how did you get interested in speech therapy? Oh, yeah. Um, so actually, my mum suggested it to me. Um, my mum was always, she always tended to have a, a, an opinion about things. And um, quite annoyingly, she was often quite right. And she was right about this as well. I think I was, I was struggling. I wasn't sure about what I wanted to do. And my mum at that time, she was a um, the head of a language unit um, in a local primary school in the time where we lived right. and she had a, a really great team and part of her, her team there was a speech therapist and she thought she said I think you you might be interested in this come and come and have a talk with the speech therapist there and I remember you know it's interesting I don't remember I don't remember what she talked about. I don't remember her describing her job. I just remember how animated she was when she was describing it. I thought, my goodness, she, she, can't, she was so passionate about her job. And I thought, there might be something in this. <laughs> so yeah. let's, let's, uh, let's try this out. So I did some shadowing with her. So that was, that was with, um, with children and now I don't I work with adults um always have done but that was the kind of intro I just thought yeah I might I want some of that what's interesting about speech therapy is that it, it seems like um that most people have to have some sort of experience of the speech and language therapist in one capacity or another before they go into the profession it's not it's not it's not one of those obvious professions like nursing or being a doctor or something like that you know I would agree with that actually I think I think it's not so well known and I think there there have been a lot of misconceptions about it I think it's getting better mm. but I think people you know to you know we've all kind of rolled our eyes as 
as we've you know told people what we do and they say oh i'll well, have to watch that talk properly and you think oh goodness if that's all you thought that we, we did <laughs> i think i think but what's I so interesting about the profession so onto the main topic so can i ask you when did you first become aware of of covid19 Oh, that's a good question. Um, so thinking back, it's, it's a time is funny at the moment in particular, I, I think. Yeah. I remember like, I remember in March, towards the end of March, I was certainly in terms of the working, the, the working kind of way that things change work-wise. It was that kind of last week in March when we had to change everything. So I was aware, I was aware you know, a few, quite a few weeks before then, you know, you were hearing things, but it was very, do you know, I think I just didn't take it as seriously. I think a lot of people didn't. They mm. just, you know, you heard things and you thought, oh, are, are people overreacting about this? And then, then, and then a little bit more and a little bit more would happen. And then it was that kind of time. I remember saying to a colleague around mid-March, do you know, I think I've been wrong here. I think this is more serious than I had thought. And she said, no, I, I think so as well. Um, and then it was probably just the next week that, uh, you know, everything changed. Mm. And all of a sudden we were, you know, uh, stopping face-to-face -face appointments and, and, and moving everyone over onto, you know, telephone consultations as much as we could. Yeah, I think, I was wondering, I think it was, maybe it was, it was, it was when things were getting very bad in Italy, I think, that we started sort of paying attention really but that was around yeah. mid-march yeah yeah talk to me then about the, your experience then from you know one day you're you're at the hospital every day in the outpatient facility and then what happened next how did you how did you and your team manage yeah. this transition yeah so for for me personally um, I was so face-to-face -face consultations stopped and um, people were redeployed to so it's, it's different for different for colleagues of mine everybody was a bit different for myself I was home working after that um, so I went quite quickly to home working and um, so doing telephone consultations over the phone from home um, and also working on really quite rapidly working on developing our current resources into electronic resources right. in readiness for video, you know, video consultations, because we thought, right, we know this is coming soon. We need to, we need to change and we need to change rapidly. Um, you know, and a little bit embarrassing to admit that you know a lot of my my resource you know it was paper i would give patients home kind of paper exercises on paper sure. now everything's completely different now um our service has you know we we email the resources and we do it in a slightly different way and i was working on you know, finding links to SLT demos so that patients could click on the link and see speech therapists doing it. So it's very, it, we had to, we had to put that in, into place. So I was very busy um, doing that, making the transition to tell, you know, telephone consultations. And then um, our service, our video calling service, which is called um, 
attend anywhere or near me that that got brought in um, and quite quickly I was seeing patients virtually at home um, just in this you know seeing them seeing my caseload but but virtually it's quite ironic actually because <laughs> because um, bit uncomfortable to admit this but I am actually a bit of a technophobe and I thought it, it was quite ironic that I was one of the first people in my service to be providing to, you know NHS video calls um, and I had colleagues asking me for advice my husband was laughing like oh goodness so it really was a baptism by fire <laughs> so how 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 did you find it this was an absolute new thing for our our service mm -hmm. um, and for me personally and yeah I was I was scared going in to do it and and you know it's it's nothing to be scared about it's always the unknown isn't it yeah and you know I really have found it I, I'm so surprised at how effective it is really um, oh goodness yes I I would never have it's just would have been wouldn't have been in my kind of thinking to have a, to have thought that that my patient caseload could have been seen so effectively this way I, I have to kind of add a wee disclaimer in there that you know my the, the majority of the people that I see their voice trans voice so voice feminization or modification disfluency so stammering chronic cough and what's called inducible laryngeal obstruction and for the majority of those patients they're they're younger they've got access to technology they've got the knowledge a lot of them you know more knowledge than me um so they for for those caseloads it works really well it really does um i think there are there are, it's much more challenging i see for my colleagues that are seeing patients for example with dysphasia um, that are really struggling to, to get their message across. It's harder for them. Mm. Not impossible, but there are there are more challenges. Not clear cut. Right. And so, but I mean, so those cases that you're talking about, and obviously I'm not a speech. I haven't had to see any clinicians during the pandemic, which of course is a good thing. And it is going to be interesting if and when I have my first virtual doctor's appointment. Um, we spoke then more about a lot of these changes becoming permanent and, and what it means. Yeah, for sure. So, but, so you, now that you're saying we're, we're moving, just so that I understand, you're saying you're moving the practice, you know, as, as virtual as much as is possible. Obviously, you know, not, not for people that have serious swallowing issues and all that kind of stuff. But, um, so... Let's say a vaccine comes out in December and Oxford got it right and mm -hmm. and it's ninety five percent effective and we managed to convince ninety five percent of the population to get it and and coronavirus is no longer a problem what is the what is the thought behind keeping the practice virtual so we're keeping it virtual basically we're, we're it's very much been um, imparted to us that this is the future. This is the way that the health is going. I mean, we've 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 been thrown into it in a very uncharacteristic fashion. You know, NHS nothing slow moving quickly <laughs> like this. 
But it, is it efficiency? Want... Sorry. Sorry, oh, I'm interrupting. I was just saying, is it, is it, are you able to, for example, see more patients in the day? So does it, is it, is it cost savings and efficiencies and, and that kind of stuff? As well as, you know, not, it's generally healthier not to have loads of people congregate in, in inpatient and outpatient facilities. Yeah, I mean, I think that, the, absolutely. I think efficiency is one of the, um, one of the kind of keywords here. Mm. I think, I think, um, I think it was, a, um, I was listening to your podcast with Pam Enderby and she was, she had given up a, a kind of personal kind of anecdote about one of her um, appointments and she found that she, she was, you know, having to just go on the phone with um, one of her consultants and it took That's right. six minutes. And she said, oh, my goodness, I could have, you know, I would have been taking a big chunk out my day. I would have been traveling, Do you know. So I think th that absolutely that's the idea that this is a potentially an easier, more effective way. Um, and also kind of thinking about the future as well, kind of if, if there were any other further issues, this is a way that infrastructure is in place to um, to to see patients this way. Um, so yeah, I think this it's, is, that's the idea. That's yeah, the idea because I mean, what I was thinking about was was also sort of distribution of, of resources so that, and I, I, I know this is not currently in, in the NHS's way of thinking, because you know, you every person is enrolled in a trust and you see the people in your trust and that's how the funding works. But in the future, you know, if, if there was an SLT who was, I don't know, off sick or overbooked in, I don't know, guys and Tommies and you in Glasgow had an open slot, it seems to me crazy that we couldn't find a way to go, okay, well, you're going to see an SLT in, in Glasgow and you're just going to do it remotely. Um, seems, seems like one of, one of the potentials that this, this technology has. It sounds, Jack, like you're coming on board. <laughs> I am. You're right. I'm all up for the efficiency. But so, it, it, so I guess the, the the challenges is how how NHS structures and the way we think about patients and and who provides them care. That's going to need to evolve to catch up to the technology in a way. Absolutely, and I think we're we're undergoing huge changes here at the moment in in our kind of therapy pathway for our patients. Even um, mm. it's just the the idea of kind of giving the, the the I mean we do this anyway, but traditionally we've provided a kind of a a, a lot of what's the word a program of therapy, and um, traditionally we would see the patient for a program of 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 therapy appointments and it's the idea is very much changing now that we are providing knowledge and tools to the patient we're doing that by you know we're, we're obviously face to face um kind of virtually but we're supporting them but we're also you know we're providing them that the kind of tools so that they can self-manage and they can do it a bit quicker and they can do it a bit more efficiently perhaps than 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 we've been doing it previously. So our actual whole way of providing therapy is in the process of change. There's a right. lot of change going on at the moment. So by, by using the computer and, and doing it with a patient that way, it feels more natural to go, and here's a website where you can practice on your own type thing. Um, you don't always have to see me face to face to do this. These are things you can do on your own. 
Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that, again, it's, my therapy practice has changed a lot with regards to that. Do you know, I, I now email patients out a little bit of time before I see them. Okay, check this, check out this, um, this link, look at a speech therapist doing this, try it. And then I'm quite quickly on hand after that to support them with it, to make sure they're doing it right. But then they've got this, you know, this therapist to, 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 kind of look at and to go back to and to, to kind of self-manage a bit more. I actually feel it's it's making them independent quicker. So it's been a quite a positive um, change that way for certainly for, for some of my, my patients, um, my patient groups. So for voice, um, this is working very well. I'm finding that I'm, I'm spending less time explaining and more time supporting. Um, and patients are taking to this really well, actually. They're, they're saying, yeah, I checked the link out. I've been trying it, but I need a bit of support. Excellent. I'll, I'll give you that support. That's what I'm here to do. So we can spend more time during the session on actually supporting the technique and providing, you know, just a, emotional support as well, depending on who it is. So interesting. I had, I had never thought about that. So it's actually, it's fundamentally changing the nature of the therapeutic relationship. And it, this whole change is, is, is moving the sort of locus of control more towards the patient away from the therapist. Yes, actually, yes. And, and it's, it's a good thing, you know, it's good yeah. to be able to give them the knowledge and tools to self-manage. We don't want them to be dependent on us, do we? We want them to, to manage it themselves. That's that, that is our goal. So yeah, it has been, it's been, a very, it's been a very interesting, kind of challenging, but interesting time. We then started talking about the dynamics of working with your colleagues in a virtual way. And I think we both agreed that without the usual rigmarole, we can probably afford to make meetings a bit shorter. On Teams and Zoom, you have the advantage of being able to record meetings if necessary. And personally, I think we should schedule more 15-minute and half-hour meetings as opposed to hour meetings, because in the past, we were always taking into account getting into the room and teas and coffees and all the rest. And then Sarah pointed out another obvious benefit. And hospital parking. I mean, goodness, there was always an issue with <laughs> hospital parking. <laughs> so we don't have to, you don't have to deal with that now. We can... Um, we can just do a Teams meeting and yeah, there's, you, you can just have, have your cup of tea beside you and, and, you know, do your Teams meeting. Yeah. I, I mean, I was, I was going to ask, well, I'm really interested in your, your areas of um, specialism. And to tell you the truth, I'm so ignorant. I had never heard of trance voice before. I didn't know SLTs helped with voice feminization. I wonder if you can tell me a bit about that. Oh, yes. Um, so, yeah, I'm fairly new to this um, in terms of speech therapy years. So I probably have only been doing this now for about three years. I mean, I've been 15 years working. I had to take a wee breath as I, as I thought about that today. Huh. And um, the last few years I've been kind of, I've gotten into trans voice therapy. So really this is just voice modification. Um, and usually it tends to be male to female um, 
patients that come in because usually with the the hormones for female to male that that usually that takes care of the the voice and it lowers the pitch of the voice so but not so with the the, the male to female patients um so what what I work with is it really just depends on what they're looking for. So the, um, no assumptions at all, actually, just finding out, okay, what, what is it you're looking for? Um, what, what kind of thing are you, you wanting from speech therapy? And quite often, and I'm very upfront about it. I don't, you know, I can't know how your voice is going to, to, to be with speech therapy, but what I do know, what I am good at is I've, I've got the tools, I've got the knowledge to be able to, to impart them to my patient um, to, so we can explore together um, and, and kind of explore the, the potential voice that they could have. So I work on, uh, or we work together on pitch, we work on resonance, and we work on intonation and sometimes articulation, if that's appropriate as well. Mm -hmm. And we look to, to not play about with, but explore these areas and and just see what what kind of or hear what kind of voice can um, can come. What what change can we can we can I facilitate with that? And I actually work with. Um, I use, I mean, for somebody that's a technophobe, it's quite funny because, so I use a couple of apps to do that, um, right. a pitch analyzer app and a perfect piano app um, that just has a keyboard and we just simply tune in and try and find a starting pitch, um, which is the start of our, of our pitch work. Um, and it's, I find working with this patient group to be hugely rewarding actually, because I think that, you know, I think that I have the I have the knowledge there to be able to to help them towards just having a voice that expresses more more who they really are. Right. Um, and that can be such an emotional thing. Actually, I can't even imagine what it would be like to to speak and my voice not match. Who well, I, really I feel am. I am or who I really am. Yeah. Oh gosh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's a really really sort of interesting psychological part of the job there um to to yeah mm -hmm. to, to yeah to find the voice to match who i am i mean that, that's fascinating um I'm, I'm hugely into the psychology of 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 everything actually and i think there's a there's a huge psychological component of what we do in speech therapy actually counseling and psychology um i think that in in particular my work I finished the interview by asking Sarah for some recommendations and she first mentioned Jonathan Hari's Lost Connections. And it's, it's fascinating. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and I heard a TED Talk podcasts interview um, with him and then I, I, I read his book and it's all about, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't sound like right, like light reading, but it's very, it is, it's very readable and it's all about, um, it's all about depression, but it's about how depression isn't, is caused by various different things, things that we can actually do something about that don't involve um, medication. Right. So it's it's it doesn't sound like light relief, but it is. It's for anyone that is looking just even to get a bit more happiness in their daily life. 
Um, so I would I would absolutely recommend that. Um, also, look, just podcasts in general. Like I love my TED Talk podcast. I've been learning loads. Um, and also, there's a there's a great podcast by Elizabeth Day, and it's it's How to Fail, and it's all about she gets people on and oh, talk yes, about. Yes, I've heard about this. A big thank you to Sarah for all of her thoughts and insights. We have a whole lot more interesting podcasts coming up. We're talking to an SLT who works in the criminal justice system. We're going to be talking about various research projects together with our regular policy catch-ups with Derek Munn. If you have ideas for other episodes, please do get in touch. We really would appreciate it if you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever your preferred podcast provider is. It helps other people find our podcast and grow our audience so that we can advocate for the profession. Until next time, keep safe.